Well, we continue on in the book of Ephesians. We're walking verse by verse through this six-chapter book as the Apostle Paul writes it from prison. And we're talking about how we can find our identity in Christ. Now, the first half of Ephesians, remember, is indicative. It's all about what God has done for us. So you can't change this. Uh, This is who he is, what he's done in our place. He died for our sins. And so we just get to receive it. And then the second half of Ephesians is uh, what we call imperative in that this is now how we are to live. And so it's very um, application uh, heavy. And so last week we talked about um, what it looked like to go from an old life to a new life in Christ and what that meant and, and how it plays out for many of us. And Paul continues that thought as we finish out chapter four. We're going to be walking through verses uh, 25 through 32. And so let's just read them as we get started tonight. Verse 25 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, so remember, whenever there's a therefore, you ask what it's there for. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. And be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, up until this point, it seems like Paul's just giving us a bunch of random, pithy, proverbial kind of statements and and obvious commands, but watch, this is how they tie together. When you're reading in in the Old Testament, when you're reading Hebrew poetry, particularly in the Psalms, they have a chiastic structure, meaning the most important thing, the point, the theme of a verse or a um, a whole paragraph is found in the middle, not at the beginning or the end, but the middle. So you want to read the middle to see how it puts everything else into context. But the New Testament often, um, just like we would in, in American or English literature, um, the end or the beginning sets up the whole context. So all of these random commands um, aren't so random. They're in context of this. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is it as God in Christ forgave you. So that's it. Verse 32 puts everything into context. So in order to understand these, these uh, what seem like random commands in verses 25 through 31, you've got to understand verse 32. This is about our identity. You and I are forgiven in Christ. You can't screw this up. You can't uh, mess it up. If your faith is in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, His blood covers us, that we are made righteous, not because of our own good deeds, but because of his. This is good news. Amen? So, let's do a little bit of legwork before we really uh, walk through these verses and and dig in. If we're forgiven, then we should have um, forgiveness for others be a typical part of our lives. But some of us have a hard time forgiving others, right? And some of us have a hard time receiving forgiveness from others. We work really hard to get people to forgive us, and we struggle with it. What happens when someone has forgiveness issues? Um, They often grow bitter. That was verse 31. Put away all the bitterness because we have been forgiven. But what happens when you live a life of bitterness? And this is written to Christians. 
So this is for people who know Jesus already. Are you bitter? There's a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Ruth, and Ruth is the main character of the book of Ruth. Guess, guess that that's, that's crazy how that works out. But in chapter 1, there's another person that's really important um, named Naomi. And Naomi, the word Naomi in Hebrew means sweet. And in chapter 1, it's all about um, this narrative of how Naomi was from Judah— and even though there wasn't a temple and whatnot at that point, she was from Judah, and she um, recognized that this was her home, and she didn't want to leave this place, but her husband wanted to, and it just happened to be in the middle of a famine. So she leaves her home, leaves her family, leaves her friends, leaves the place that even at that point they recognize this is where if you want to be in the presence of God, Judah's a good place to be. That's where Jerusalem is. And so she goes out to Moab. This is a foreign land, and for 10 years she finds herself out there with um, a bunch of people that she doesn't know. And her husband and her have a couple of sons, and these two sons marry uh, women who are foreign women. And before you know it, the story gets worse because Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons die. And by the end, of, by the middle of chapter one, you're thinking this is a horrible story, right? Because now she's got two daughter-in-laws, but she's got no other family. She's poor because her husband dies, and she has no means to make a living. And she's got to decide what to do. So she says, I'm going to go back to my homeland. But she's ticked. And she tells her two daughter-in-laws, you know what? Go back to your homeland. Go back to your parents. And, of course, Ruth clings to her and says, I'm not leaving you. Well, so her her and Ruth go down the road. And what happens? They come to Bethlehem. So they're coming back into her homeland. And they say, Naomi, how are you doing? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because I left full, but the Lord has made me empty. And the hand of the Almighty has been against me. She left her homeland years earlier full. She had family. She had everything. And now she's coming back and she's nothing. You see, Mora means bitter. And here's what she did. And here's why it's important for us to recognize this as we talk about forgiveness tonight. Naomi, meaning sweet, identified as a child of God who was sweet. That was her identity, and she redefines herself by renaming herself. And she redefines herself based on her pain and her suffering and her loss. She says, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Is that you? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but do you really Find your identity as a forgiven child of God who can forgive others because you know, hey, we make mistakes, but, but I've been forgiven. Or do you find yourself bitter towards people who sinned against you? What name, what face pops up? Maybe it's God when we talk about bitterness. You see, for Mora, the worst day of her life became the most defining day of her life. And I think the church is full of people who struggle with the exact same thing. But as children of God, we get to say, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. And so we can freely forgive because forgiven people forgive people. Now, before we jump into the verses, let's, um, let's talk about a couple things. Let's talk about some signs. If you walk with people, 
you'll see some signs of what it means and what it looks like to be bitter. And then we're going to talk about some causes. And so we're going to rifle through these. But I want you to think about your own life, yourself, and see if this identifies you in any way, shape, or form. One thing you'll notice um, when it comes to bitter people is that they are, are tend to be emotional archaeologists. You ever heard that before? This is where people get stuck because they can't move past some of the stuff that they keep digging up. Stuff in their past, their childhood, things that need to be dealt with, but instead of dealing with it in a healing way, they just bring it up to reiterate the pain. And so the wound opens again. And everyone else around them tends to move forward and say, let's make progress in life. Let's go on. We've got, we got other things now. And they say, I can't get over what has happened. Number two. Bitter people often keep an intricate record of wrongs, meaning they know details. I know people like this. I have, I have loved ones like this who um, actually function or, or have a difficulty um, in functioning day to day, keeping jobs, having healthy relationships. But then when you talk to them, they remember things from the past, from their childhood, hurts in great detail, detail that no one else around them remembers and says, What? We grew up in the same home, and you remember what happened? I don't remember that happening. And and they remember intricate details. Why? Because they keep a record of wrongs, and that's what they identify with. That's how they've been redefined. And so they live out of that pain, and they know every detail about it. Of course, 1 Corinthians tells us love keeps no record of wrongs, but they do. Number three, uh, one thing you'll see with many bitter people is that they tend to be the most bitter towards loved ones. If you take... um, if you take uh, one simple instance, like, say, 10 years ago, or 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it might be, um, if a stranger comes up to you and says, I hate you, that would stink, that would hurt. But if your mom or your dad says, I hate you, which one do you think is going to stick a little bit more? You see, sometimes when people are bitter, it's not about what happened, but who did it. And so you'll find that um, bitter people often <laughs> find themselves most bitter towards the ones that they actually love the most. And families are split apart, torn apart. And you say, how, how can little things become big things? Well, it's not about what was done. It's about who did it, who said it. Number four, bitter people often become self-righteous. Why? We live in a culture right now that loves victimization. We exalt it. And... and Okay, this is a Wednesday night kind of statement, not necessarily a Sunday morning statement. Um, So you look at our culture. We've gone from victims need justice to let's exalt victims, put them on a throne so they can judge other people. Here, you guys are going to, some of you are going to not like what I'm about to say. Victimization. Someone doesn't like you because of the color of your skin. Instead of justice, now we have white supremacy, we have black panthers, we have movements that take it past, let's just be equal, now we have to be in control. And so someone's got to get pushed down to someone is exalted. You say, um, well, someone uh, uh, sinned against me because of my gender. Well, we don't just want equality, do we? We want feminism, we want chauvinism. We want one gender to, if they were victimized, be exalted into a place of control over the other. We can't handle equality in our culture, can we? 
Somebody wants to be on top. And what happens with bitter people is when they are hurt, they become the judge. They get put on a throne because they're the victim. And what they say about other people's sins, regardless of whether they want to deal with their own, but because they were sinned against, they want to judge everyone else. And you better believe they're going to think they're right in their judgment. They often become self-righteous. Now, what causes some of this? You know why I'm doing this, right? You read verses like what we read tonight and what we're going to walk through, and it's easy for us to say, yep, that's for someone else. (laughs) I'm doing my best as a pastor to say, maybe this is speaking to us. What are some things that cause? This isn't obviously exhaustive, and um, but some common causes of bitterness. Number one, uh, people wrongly accuse others of sin. Sometimes people are bitter because they don't have all the facts, and there's two sides to a story. Ever had that happen? Where, where maybe people didn't speak for years, and he said, and she said, and then finally someone came together and said, but you, you realize that they didn't mean that that way, or they, they didn't actually say that. Did you talk to them about it? Well, no, I didn't talk about it. I just assumed that they, they believed this. And before you know it, you wrongly accuse someone. I had um, One time I remember I had a first-time guest who um, filled out a uh, connect card of some sort, and I called them just to say, hey, thanks for coming. Um, and I didn't get through. I got like a busy tone, so I sent an email. and said, hey, got a busy tone, so I just wanted to follow up again with an email. and said, thanks for coming. And the person said, um, you're lying. You did not call me. I guarantee you did not call me. And so it's like, this is awkward. I haven't met you before, but um, what am I supposed to say? And, and, um, and so I, I said, well, I did call you. And then I said, here's the phone number we called. And it was one digit off. And so after a long paragraph of accusing me of just lying and, and being a jerk, like we just, we just had, we wrote down the number wrong. It was just a simple mistake. Needless to say, we, we didn't have a long-term relationship. But sometimes it happens. Number two, unspoken expectations not met or unreasonable. I tell couples this in premarital counseling. You want to kill your marriage very quickly? Here's a couple ways to do it. Assume and expect things that you don't tell the other person about. I thought you were going to take the trash out. I thought you were going to pay the bills. Well, I thought if you knew or could kind of tell um, and read my mind that you would have helped me. Well, I can't read your mind, and so how could I have helped you? And assumptions. I assumed, I assumed expectations that are either unreasonable or unspoken. You want to be bitter towards someone? Be in that. Number three, you'll be bitter often if you aren't able to receive a rebuke. If someone corrects you, can you receive it? And you say, very quickly, those conversations, they go from, well, here's your sin to, I don't like your tone. You ever been there? Where, where you're like, oh, wow, maybe I am wrong, but I'm not going to deal with it because I don't like the way you said it. Or, you know what, I don't think your heart was right. I could tell the tone of your voice or the way you looked at me when you said it. And people, they have a hardened heart, and so they become bitter. Number four, jealousy. Sometimes people become bitter because they're just jealous of other people. Well, we were best friends growing up, but they got into that college and I didn't. Well, we were single together and we locked arms through our singleness and we said, we can do this even when we're lonely. And then you got married and I'm happy for you, but I'm kind of crushed for myself. Well, you got pregnant and we've had fertility issues for years. 
and it goes on and on and on. Are you jealous? Number five. Now, let's separate these. These top four, you're in sin. These are not good reasons, right? These are not, these are not okay. You're, you're wrong here. But, but then there's one other category here that we have listed. Number five, you might be bitter because you were sinned against. This happens. Someone legitimately sins against you just as we have sinned against God. And you got a choice. Am I going to be bitter or am I going to forgive? What are you going to walk in? You see, here's the thing. Some people are bitter and they'll, they'll try to justify it in a million different ways. But when someone sins against you, they're ultimately going to reveal what's in your heart already. They can't cause your bitterness. Someone could come in and sin against all of the people in this room. And some of us would forgive quickly. Some of us would be bitter. Some would would be bitter for a short time. Some would be bitter for a long time. You can't cause someone to be bitter. But you can reveal what's already in their heart. You can't change their bitterness. But you can expose what's in their heart. It's in there. And conflict just reveals what's actually going on. So. We see some signs. We know a few causes. Let's walk through this. And now these verses in context might make a little more sense. They're not so random. Here's some commands that Paul gives people who struggle with forgiveness. Let's walk through. So this is the new you. Remember verses 22 through 24? This is you in Christ, not the old you anymore. And he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. First thing we see, don't lie. Don't lie. You see, when people are hurt, they can't help but to talk about it. Pain tends to leak through the mouth. Do you lie? When you're talking with people, do you misrepresent a situation? Knowing there's two sides of it. I'm going to very specifically give the side I want them to hear. Do you manipulate? Well, mom, you don't understand what they did. And you tell the story, mom feels horrible for you. And you're thinking deep down inside, yeah, it's not all of the story. I mean, I'm kind of at fault, but I ain't telling you that part because I don't want to be wrong. No one wants to be isolated in their pain. They want to be justified. Do you lie? You see, gossip tends to be the path that lies take. Watch your mouth. Watch your text messages. Watch your emails. Watch your social media. We live in a day and age, as many of you Obviously, most of you, all of you know um, that if you have um, bitterness towards someone and you want to air that, you can quicker than ever air that to more people than ever. Follow some, click on your news feed. You want to know how people are feeling? They'll tell you. (laughs) You'll see people post things that you think, I don't know if that should be aired. Maybe you should talk to the person. You see, gossip is when you talk to other people with other people. Prayer is when you talk to God about people or whatever you're dealing with. God wants to hear it. And it's good to seek wise counsel, but ultimately, if you're going to try to handle brokenness without dealing with the root of of your hurt, and you're going to just do it with other people, not only are you going to probably be bitter, but you might find yourself compromising the truth. 
to justify the situation. I um, I'll bring up Proverbs twenty six twenty. Some of you might be familiar with it. It says, "Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel lies dies down." When you gossip, you're going to stoke that fire. It's going to be a one-sided argument, and ultimately, you're going to multiply sin because you're going to get someone else to despise the person who hurts you. And it happens all the time. It happens every day. You're going to gather haters. You've got to talk to God. You've got to seek wise counsel, but make sure they're godly counsel. Every one of us know who we can go to who will fan gossip into flame and who we can go to who will stop gossip and say, let's just deal with what the Lord would have us deal with in a way that the Lord would be honored. We know those people. Hopefully some of them are sitting around you that you could go to and talk to. And of course, there's Matthew 18. If you've got an issue with people, you go and talk to them. If you need to take a few other people, you take a few other people. But again, because of our culture and our love for victimization, our idolatry of making ourselves victims. We love to be victims. We don't always want our drama to end as quick as you might think. We like to sit and stew in the mess because it puts us at the center of attention. And sometimes we're held hostage by our bitterness and our pain. But some people have coping mechanisms where they actually, just a slight part of them enjoy it. And they wouldn't know what to do if the drama went away, to be honest. But if you just talk to people and you're honest with people and you don't lie, you might find some conflict resolution pretty quick. Verse 26, first part of it says, be angry and do not sin. The second thing that Paul tells us, don't let your emotions control you. Now, this is one of those verses people say all the time. Don't sin when you're angry. Don't sin when you're angry. And they twist it in a couple different ways and Particularly if you're religious, you say, well, when it comes to emotions, there's good emotions and there's bad emotions. And anger always seems to be one of those bad emotions. Just like jealousy seems to be one of those bad things. But what happens when the Bible says God has those emotions? Is it so bad then? Because God has anger. Jesus had a righteous anger. Um, The Lord, one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible in Exodus, the Lord is slow to anger, but he can get there. So the issue isn't necessarily, is your anger good or bad? There's righteous and, in, and unrighteous. Most of us, we're going to experience unrighteous like, because we're tainted with sin. But the question is, are you making decisions, even in your emotions, that are honoring to God? You see, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of good decisions that can come from anger. You take something like um, the founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You want to know how she became the founder? Because she had a child who was killed by a drunk driver who just happened to be a repeat offender. What do you think she felt when all that went down? Outside of incredible heartache. Anger. What do you think God felt when all that went down? Probably some anger. For justice. So she starts an organization that has probably helped a ton of people. So, some have said that anger is momentary insanity. I don't know that I'd go that far. But people do um, 
people do crazy things in their anger, and we pass it off as, well, you felt the emotion so that action was justified. And God says, you might feel the emotion. It's not sin to feel the emotion. It's sin to sin in the emotion. But you can make good decisions. Don't let your emotions control you. The rest of that verse, 26b says, do, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Third thing, don't delay repentance. Don't delay repentance. You see, Paul lived in an agrarian society. They were farmers and they didn't have electricity. So when sun goes down, day is over. When sun comes up, day begins. And you do as much as you can for your livelihood and just the way of life during those hours of sunlight. And so ultimately what he's saying is, if you've got issues, if you've got bitterness, if you've got anger that needs to be dealt with, deal with it quickly. He's not saying you can't take a breather. He's not saying you can't spend an hour going for a walk, getting your mind right, talking to the Lord. But he is saying it's not okay to wait a month, two months, 30, 40 years sitting in bitterness, sitting in anger that you're not making good decisions out of. You got to go to the Lord. Don't delay. Some of us um, have sat in bitterness for a long time. It's been said that it's like a cancer of your soul. If you don't deal with it, it just grows and grows and grows. Bitterness doesn't stay stagnant. Bitterness, bitterness either uh, increases or decreases. It's going to be dependent on whether you're um, finding healing in, in the Lord and you're finding healing with the people that you're bitter towards. What's the source of your anger? Are you um, walking through life maybe unsure why you're so angry and bitter? Never quite knowing the source, but dealing with the fruit of it all the time. That's a lot of people. But Jesus wants to heal you. He can heal you. He died to heal you. And he lives so that he can heal you. Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. Fourth thing. Bitter people are commanded not to give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Now, you're not going to hear this with many therapists in, in the secular world, right? Um, but there is a devil, and there are demons, and there's evil in the world. You don't have to turn on the news. <laughs> you can just look around you. We all see it everywhere, in your own heart, in the lives of others. There's evil. There's spiritual forces at work, and the devil just happens to be just happens to be um, a liar, as we talked about an accuser of the saints, which we're going to talk about, a thief, which we're going to talk about, and one who is waiting for you to be just like him. One who is waiting and creeping and prowling and looking for every opportunity to get into your heart and to take root. And if you're going to sit in bitterness, if you're going to sit in anger, you've got to understand that's a kingdom where he rules. And he loves it when God's people despise each other. Because it tears down not just the person, the church, it tears down the testimony of Jesus. And he loves it. 
because he's selfish and he wants to be God. It's spiritual warfare. Every single day, you and I are choosing which kingdom we're going to expand. The kingdom where Jesus rules and we're going to walk in love and mercy and grace and we're going to follow Jesus or the one where the enemy rules. And one of the greatest deceptions for a lot of Christians is that they can live in both and it's okay. And you're not just missing out on a bunch of healing if you do that. But you're thwarting the kingdom of God because you're letting darkness rule the day. Most people, when they think of spiritual warfare, they think of ghosts and demons behind bushes. I don't know what people think of, right? What do we, th- what do we think of when we think of spiritual warfare? But the truth is, um, number one, it's happening all the time. And number two, it's happening to you. And there's a constant pull from the old devil saying, I'm looking for opportunity. Give me opportunity. Stay mad at them. Let the sun go down. You don't have to deal with it right now. Stay mad. And he says, this is a beautiful concoction going on in your spirit that is going to bring me a whole bunch of glory. And God's going to hate it. This is why your bitterness isn't just about you. And it's not just about who it affects around you. It affects the glory of God. And ultimately, we're going to see in Ephesians 6, the spiritual warfare thing is, we're going to, this is what Paul's talking about. We're going to talk a lot about it. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer... I promise we're going to get to some happier stuff here in a bit. This is, this is, all, this is all part of the big groundwork here that we're laying for verse 32. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Number five, don't take the easy road. Don't take the easy road. Paul's obviously talking about thieves who physically steal. He's saying you, you, need, to, you need to work hard in life. You, you need to be honest And not just what you say, but also what you do. What are you doing with your hands? Are you you building up? Are you tearing down the things of God? And not only that, again, it's not just about you. So that you can um, not only provide for yourself, but to bless others with what you do. Now, obviously, again, Paul's talking about physical stealing, thievery. But it's even bigger than that, right? When you're bitter... You've got emotional and intellectual thievery going on. Whether it be you coveting what your neighbor has, what you want from them. I I like the way their spouse looks better than the way I like my spouse. Well, I, I like their car. I like their house. I like their job. And so, one thing you notice about a bitter heart is bitter people often rest in their nightmares and in their daydreams. They have nightmares about the pains that hold them hostage from the past, but they daydream about what the Joneses have and how they can get it. Because they're jealous. They often want what they can't have. And Paul's saying, don't take the easy road. Don't be a thief. Don't steal. But work physically, emotionally, Don't take the easy road. Bitterness starts in your heart. 
and it's going to flow out your mouth, but it's obviously always going to end up showing in your lifestyle. Some of us are um, not, we're not outwardly, <clears throat> excuse me, showing that we have a lot of bitterness in our heart, but we are working hard, extra hours at work, not because we read this verse and say, I need to just work hard. No, we're working hard to get what someone else has. We're workaholics. And so we're not physically stealing what they have. We are emotionally daydreaming, intellectually daydreaming about what they have and then doing everything we can to get it. And it's just as broken. Last but not least, verse 29. For these six commandments, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number six, don't tear down, but build up. Again, isn't it interesting that this isn't just what angry, bitter people who have forgiveness issues tend to struggle with, which to some degree could be all of us at different points in life. But it also, um, <laughs> it's also a bunch of what the devil does. Again, he's a slanderer, he's an accuser, he's a liar, he's a thief. This is what the scriptures say about him. Why? Because he loves himself. He doesn't love the Lord, he wants to be the Lord. But when you're a child, live for the Lord, not yourself. Don't tear down, build up. Let no corrupting talk. Um, the word corrupt here in, in the Greek, it actually um, it is always used in relation to decay. So you ever been in a room with someone that you're like, wow, I don't necessarily notice you gossiping or, or slandering a bunch, but the words coming out of your mouth just kind of, make the conversation rot a little bit. And you just kind of look at him and you're like, ah, you're not saying anything to build up, but, but everything you're saying is kind of tearing down. Corrupt talk, but only such that is good for building up. People who are bitter have a hard time building other people up with their words because they don't want other people to have what they don't have. Joy. And no one wants to be lonely in their pain. And so, what does your speech look like? Watch your mouth. One pastor said, as kind of a litmus test, you, you want to know um, if you're in a pattern of corrupting talk, watch your nicknames, right? We tend to nickname the people we love the most and despise the most. So, we nickname people in our family. We love them, right? Or spouse, whatever. We have little pet nicknames. I won't make you say what yours are for your spouse. but And I definitely won't tell you what I call my spouse. But then on the flip side, we despise those, or we nickname those who we despise. So you have someone that you don't like very much, and you might just call them something derogatory. You might say, oh, there's that jerk. Or there's that punk. Or there's that guy or that gal. Or you might have some other nickname that describes them, that pigeonholes them. And that ultimately says to everyone uh, around, hey, I want you to know this flaw in their character. I want you to define them. Isn't it interesting that we're doing to other people that we despise? We often do exactly what Naomi did to herself. She, by changing her name, redefined herself to 
identify with her pain and her loss, and we often do that with others. We say, well, there's that guy, there's that person, and we're saying, I want everyone to see them by their flaws. Thank God God doesn't see us by the things that people have called us in the past. And so, we pigeonhole them because we say, well, I'm going to call you something hoping um, that you live up to it because I don't think you're ever going to change. So if you're the jerk, something deep down inside says, I don't think you're ever going to not be a jerk. Watch your nicknames. Build people up, don't tear them down in your speech. Honor the Lord in what you say. Now, last few verses. We're going to wrap this up. And this is the good news. So all that, to move to this, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve in the Greek literally means sad. Don't sadden God. Like when God's Spirit, who indwells every believer in Christ Jesus, when you say, "Eh, I know you're convicting me of sin, righteousness, judgment. I know that you're speaking to me, telling me as a loving father, let's move in this direction because it aligns with the will of God, not our direction because it aligns with our own will. Yeah, I know that's good, but I'm not going to do it. So we stop listening to God. We stop obeying God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember, talking in verses or in chapters two, three, we, we talk about how we are sealed as Children of God, God places his spirit because one day when all this ends, we're going to know who belongs to who. And God's saying, I am putting my stamp on your life. If your faith is in me, I am perfect. And ultimately, my spirit will live in you even when you make mistakes. You're going to need my spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, meaning making this bigger and bigger and bigger, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So you can just picture the heart here and saying, let bitterness, let wrath, let anger, let let, let clamor, let slander. Oh yeah, and malice. Like just all of this junk that's deep down in here. Put it away. You say, how do I put it away? Well, verse 32, be kind to one another. If you're sitting here thinking, I am bitter towards someone. I'm bitter towards God. I'm bitter towards this person that hurt me. I'm bitter towards that person that raised me. I'm bitter towards that person I work with. And I'm angry. Is this what you want to hear? Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Have a soft heart towards them. Forgiving one another. How do I forgive them? You don't know what they've done. As God in Christ forgave you. How many times have we sat with wrath towards the person next to us, realizing the wrath of God was once directed on us? And Jesus said, I'll take it. You deserve the wrath of God for your sin, but I'll take it. You see, that's the beauty of the cross. Last thing we see, this is the hope. This is the great hope. Forgiven people forgive people. It is a miracle. It is a miracle that a bitter heart, a broken heart could ever forgive someone. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. 
you're going to need the Holy Spirit. But that's what he says in verse 30. We have the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do what the Holy Spirit says. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. Let me, um, let me ask you, how many of you guys like to garden? Anyone garden? Okay, like four of you. Okay, this illustration will be less impactful now. Um, or if you like lawn care. Okay, let's talk about weed prevention. I know it sounds weird, but I promise it's going somewhere. I used to do lawn care. I mowed a whole bunch of lawns, and, and now I don't like mowing my own lawn because I mowed everyone else's lawn for so long. Um, if you wanted to get rid of weeds, which is, which is the better way to get rid of weeds? Should you just focus on digging up the weeds? I mean, you've got to get into the root, right? You've got to expose it. You've got to tear that thing out. Put some weed killer on whatever you want to do. Or would you say that you need to not focus so much on the root and the weed, but you need to plant some healthy grass and you need to water and fertilize it? Well, what do you think would be the best way if you had to choose one of those two? The healthy grass. Why? So it chokes out the bad. Good. But does some bad still come up? Yeah. How many of you think just digging would be good? None of you just none of you want to dig weeds tonight. Well, it's winter, so you don't have to go home and do this. I think we would agree both, right? Because when 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 if I told you tonight, if I told you, if I ended with verse 31 and I didn't share verse 32, and I said, you know what? Put all the bitterness, all the anger, all the wrath, all the junk that you got inside, put it away. Then I'm just giving you some religion. I'm just giving you some 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 guilt. Have fun. Goodbye. And what I would be sending you home to do is to dig the weeds. And you would have a lifetime of digging the bitterness. You're like, okay, I gotta get to the I gotta get to the root of the bitterness. Pete Pastor said, You got bitterness in your heart, you gotta deal with it. And so I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging. Oh, but there's a weed. There's a weed. Why? Because if you don't have healthy grass growing, then you're gonna find when the healthy grass isn't around. Even when you don't water the grass, even when you don't put any fertilizer on, you got rocks, it's nasty. You're thinking nothing's going to grow. Weeds still grow, don't they? Bitterness is still going to come. Religion or not? Gospel? This was written to Christians. <laughs> they still had a little bitterness. But you also got to make sure that you don't go and say, well, I'm just going to um, I'm just going to dig the weeds because you're going to be going in circles all your life trying to figure out bitterness and trying to get rid of it and not knowing how to get rid of it. And so you've got to plant some healthy grass. The forgiveness of Christ, recognizing the only way I can do this is that my identity, this is the beauty, my identity is a forgiven child of God. I recognize that every time I've despised someone else and sinned against them, God has from heaven said, do you realize I've dealt with the same thing with you? Only difference is I'm holy and no one should sin against me. You're broken. You sin against others and they're broken. They sin against you. That makes sense. And so you've got to do both. Let me ask you, um, is forgiveness firmly planted in your heart? Like, do you think about it or you just think about the bitterness 
Do you just try to get at the root of your bitterness or, or do you think about and water and fertilize the fact that you are forgiven? Do you, do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you remind yourself, I am, I am forgiven. This isn't just for new believers. This is for Christians. You want to mature? You mature by saying, I recognize the gospel I need today. It is the same gospel I needed at salvation. It's the same gospel I'm going to need the day I die. Like the gospel is always good news. Reminding yourself, I'm forgiven. And again, the best kind of forgiveness is total forgiveness. And that's what the Bible says we have in Christ. As far as the East is from the West, our sins are from us. How amazing is the forgiveness of God that Jesus, the only one who didn't deserve to die, did die. And those who deserved death get life. It doesn't make sense. The gospel does not make sense to a world that fights evil with evil. But that's why it's such good news. Only God would have a plan like that. Only God could come up with something like that. Only God could do something like that. When it comes to your relationship with God, it's okay to bask in the truth that you are forgiven. How was your day today? Did you screw up a lot? You're forgiven. What's it going to be like tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You're going to make mistakes sometime in the next 30, 40 years? Probably. We're forgiven. Hebrews said he died once and for all. You don't need to be forgiven over and over and over. Jesus doesn't need to die over and over and over. He died one time and his blood covers your past, present, and future sin. Is that a reason to sin? Absolutely not. That would be an abuse of grace. But even when you make mistakes, whether you know it or not, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. There's freedom in that. Please, church, rest in that truth. When you rest in that truth and you realize there was a debt between me and God and it's been canceled out, I'm going to rest in that. You can't help but to see your heart healed as you view other people and their sin against you. You have no hope of truly forgiving other people if you haven't received the forgiveness of God. You're only going to pour out what you have in. And if you don't have forgiveness firmly planted, if you haven't received it, and listen to me, guys, I'm not talking about knowing about forgiveness. Even non-believers, if we asked anyone in this city, hey, what do you know about Jesus? Uh, I think he died for people. Why? I don't know something about forgiveness. Like, like they could probably tell you it has something to do with forgiveness. I'm talking about receiving it. That your heart is not hardened, but it's soft towards the gospel. It's tenderhearted towards the gospel. And you are saying, I get it. Some of us would say, I don't deserve it. You're right. I can't take something I don't deserve. It's not the way it works. He's creator. He's father. He's the, he gets to give us things. Will you just receive it and trust him? That even when you're unworthy, which is always, he's always worthy. and He's given it to you. Let's spend the last few minutes we have um, with the second part of forgiveness, which is forgiven people forgive others. Bound to have questions. So let's just get practical. We'll rifle through some things and we'll end in just a few minutes. What about the people that you need to forgive? If you've received forgiveness from God, What does it mean to forgive others? Here's a few things that forgiveness is and a few things that forgiveness is not, and we will wrap up. Forgiveness is, number one, canceling debts. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, 
Jesus says, Father, forgive us our, what? Our debts, our trespasses. As you forgive us, we forgive others. This is the theme. You receive forgiveness, you give forgiveness. If you can't give forgiveness, it might be because you don't have forgiveness to give. But the debt is canceled. Don't make. When you forgive someone on earth, what you're saying is, I don't get to pay you back. And you don't have to work hard to get this from me. So I'm not making you pay for your sin against me, and you don't have to keep working hard to get in my good graces. Debts are canceled. Number two, forgiveness is relinquishing control. You know, when someone hurts someone else, then the person who's been hurt, the victim, has what? They've got authority. they got the control. So they get up on the throne and say, okay, bow down. Make it up to me. You ever been in a home where mom and dad were fighting? And you could clearly see that the uh, control had shifted a little bit. And then one of them, the one who was hurt, just soaked it in. Went around for days saying, why don't you just go clean up for me? Why don't you just go, why don't you go do this for me? And the other one, just like a puppy dog, would just try to do it right. It's unhealthy. When you forgive someone, you're giving up your right to hold a grudge and to be in control of the situation. Number three. Forgiveness is declining to seek revenge. What does the Bible say about vengeance? It is whose? The Lord's. Number four, forgiveness is trusting God with ultimate justice. Some of us say, well, I, I, just, I want justice to be done on earth. Listen, justice is broken on earth. We should love justice. We should strive for justice. But there's a whole bunch of crimes in a whole bunch of countries that are not going to be prosecuted. And when they're prosecuted, they're not prosecuted properly. And they're just, what's, it's all broken. It's a reflection that we strive for justice as humans, but we can't give justice the way it's deserved. God is ultimately going to judge everyone. And when you forgive someone, what you're saying is, God, I trust you. I'm not sitting here hoping that you judge them to hell. no. Forgiveness is that you actually want good for them. That's hard. But forgiven people forgive people. Even the one who has sinned against you, you should want them to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to have what you have. But you're trusting God with ultimate justice. Number five, it's an ongoing process. When it comes to our forgiveness with God, the Father, it's not an ongoing process. It's once and for all. But that's because he's perfect and he's holy. For us, you're going to wake up, you're going to say, okay, I can forgive them today. And then 11 p.m. tomorrow night when you're going to sleep and your head hits the pillow and you think, oh gosh, I just, something triggered a thought. And you think back to that painful situation. And in that moment, you're gonna have to choose to forgive, to let go again. And you find sometimes it gets easier and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it stays hard to forgive, but you can forgive. Here's what forgiveness is not. We'll end with this. Number one, denying or ignoring sin. Some people say, well, um, yeah, yeah, I'll forgive them. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I'm just not going to bring it up anymore. That's not forgiveness. That's delusion, right? That, that's just pretending like it never happened. But that's not what forgiveness is. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling sin. Well, if, if, if I forgive them, then that just means they can go on and keep doing this. No. They still have to answer to God. And you couldn't enable or or vice versa. Their sin anyway. Like they're going to choose to sin if they're going to sin. And your forgiveness isn't dependent 
on whether they have a perfect track record after they hurt you anyway. Number three, forgiveness is not dependent upon apologies. Some of the people that we're bitter towards maybe have passed away. There's no apologies coming there, is there? Some people we don't have access to. Some people, like circumstances change. Your forgiveness is not dependent on their repentance. Your repentance is, is between you and God and you and them, but it's not dependent on their participation. You can forgive regardless of whether they are even remorseful. And I know that makes it hard, but again, you're trusting God with ultimate judgment. Number four, forgiveness is not forgetting. You say, wait, Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. But God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. There's not a big long list of things that God has forgotten. What it means when he's saying that God remembers our sin no more is that he doesn't identify us by our sin. He doesn't hold us uh, accountable to our sin. When he sees Jesus, he sees, when he sees us, he sees Jesus and his perfect righteousness. Some of us say, well, I guess I can't truly forgive because I just keep thinking about it. Like it's, it's, it, it pops up in my head. And then we feel guilty about that. You can forgive, but sometimes you can't control what pops in your head. It means you're not holding it against them, not that the memory never pops up in your head again. Number five, forgiveness is not trust. Please understand this. Forgiveness is not trust. Some people say, well, um, I had an abuser, someone who sexually or physically abused me. Uh, maybe it was um, a child with, with a grandpa or an uncle or someone that hurt them that they were in proximity to. And they say, okay, now I need to go back to them and I need to trust them again. No, some people on earth we should not trust. And forgiveness is not the same as trust. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is granted. Trust can be broken, and, and it can be something that you don't need to trust some people. Forgiveness is given freely. And last but not least, it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Here's why. Forgiveness only needs one person involved. Reconciliation needs two. We are ministers, Second Corinthians says, of reconciliation. So you strive for reconciliation. But again, some situations, sexual abuse, some physical abuse, emotional abuse, there's cases where it's not going to be good for you to be around someone. And so we have this idea in our mind that, well, true forgiveness means that I go and I welcome them back and I pretend like the sin never happened and we just don't talk about it anymore. And if I think about it, then that's on me and, I, and I'm going to have to trust them again and we're going to have to try to go on like everything's normal again. And that is not true forgiveness. That's a broken secular society's view and definition of forgiveness. We're ministers of reconciliation, but we're not guarantors of it. It's difficult to forgive. And to forgive the way God wants you to, you're going to have to receive the forgiveness that only God can give. But that's why the gospel is so sweet. So, when you got a gospel so sweet, you don't have to be so bitter. Let's pray.